Woods, welcome back to The Word is Resistance, the podcast where we are exploring what our sacred texts have to teach us about living, surviving, even thriving in the context of empire, tyranny, violence, and repression, the times in which we are living today. What do our sacred stories have to teach us as white folks about our role in resistance, in showing up, in liberation? What do they have to teach us about any of these things in the time of pandemic, in a time when profound death has been aided and abetted by white supremacist systems from precincts to halls of power? How do we journey to freedom, even now, worn out as we are? My name is Seth Whispelway, and I am a pastor in the United Church of Christ. I use he and him pronouns. I'm speaking with you all from Tucson, Arizona, which is located on the stolen, looted, and occupied land of the Tohono O'odham Nation and its people, who have stewarded this land for generations. We do well to acknowledge these things at a very minimum, in hope and prayer that our ideas and understandings of possession, property, and history unclench toward the radical repentance that ultimately leads to a radical re-understanding, use, and reclamation of these spaces we call church, home, and more, as the living God expects and requires. With Indigenous Peoples and Resistance Day right around the corner, ask yourself if it's relevant where acknowledgement becomes further action towards this necessary transformation. Proper attire and imprecations. You are invited. Where? When? To the wedding banquet. This week, our lectionary scripture from the Gospel according to Matthew is the parable of the wedding banquet, as in, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. What are we to make? of the fact that the well-to-do were invited first? I think we remember that this is a parable, an illustration. They are invited first because the hearer expects them to be. They are the well-heeled, the important leaders, the upper tier of classes, the blessed in the eyes of the world's standards of success and supremacy. By dint of their standing, it goes without saying that they're not exactly going to be interested in this wedding and what it represents. A covenant with the world that directly indicts their current order. Because remember who this wedding banquet is for. The Son, Jesus. Jesus, the poor brown-skinned handyman, a Palestinian Jew born to an unwed teenage mother in an unimportant part of the world, living under occupation, who lives the way of subverting and inverting the empirical order by extending life to everyone. Remember, the 
Powerful don't crucify nice people. They crucify and try to make examples out of threats to their standing and power. So the first wave of banquet invitees go through a pretty predictable order of reactions that we see from the powerful elite through history when pressed to dignify the needs of others exploited by their machinations and exploitations who are calling out for turning the levers for justice and fairness. That order of reactions? Ignore, laugh, get annoyed, lash out. There's a last stage, a giving in to what's asked, that is transformation or at least compliance, but we don't get there in the wealthy's reaction in this parable for reasons we'll spell out later. So, first they ignore the servants, who biblical scholars say represent prophets in the parable. Then they laugh at them. Then they get annoyed and use their power to dispose of the messengers violently. Then they get what they gave. When the king giving the wedding banquet sends his own army to destroy those murderers and burn their city. This is where things get extra interesting for us. In a way, the disdain and disinterest from those who got the first wave of invitations is a foregone conclusion. They are not interested in a party for someone who preaches and lives as if we all belong to each other, as if we are all indeed connected as we truly are, because their wealth and supremacist systems have insulated them against truly believing those things are necessary and true. Exploitation, marginalization, oppression have worked really well for them, they think. But rather than just laugh it off, they double down on their power, on their lie. They are the super spreaders of a certain kind of narrative and the visible reminder that other humans in their midst who strive to thrive and be dignified and throw an equitable party feast, that's a prick too far for them. It's like how wearing a mask in the face of a neo-fascist death cult is so insulting to them. By wearing your mask, you are saying you believe in the truth that people belong to each other, rely on each other, are equal. You are caring for yourself and others. To those who don't subscribe to that truth, you are a threat. As Jesus says elsewhere in the Gospels, Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Similarly, here, the king says, after destroying those who denied his invitation and murdered his prophets, quote, the wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. They were not worthy. There is an end date to evil. The good word has gone out, and though the powerful may seek to suppress it, and even on paper look insurmountable when they do, the banquet is still on. It just means that not everyone's coming. They had their chance. Who are we in this parable, especially at this point in the story? I think many of us are or would like to think of ourselves as 
super spreaders of the good news. Those going out and handing out invitations to this radical new kind of wedding banquet. If you're a white person listening to this podcast, you are saying you are committed to building the resilience to embody that good news. Wonderful. I hope that's true. And that even as you go through the costly liberation of deconstructing the white supremacist lies inside you, you find joy in embodying the invitation, in finding yourself invited. We don't need to worry about the end date to evil then because we will have made that road by walking it. Those slaves, prophets, went out into the streets and gathered all whom they had found, both good and bad, so the wedding hall was filled with guests. Those super-spreaders are telling a new and different story for those with ears to hear. The hall isn't filled with guests because they heard what happened to the first batch of invitees. No, they are are who the banquet is prepared for. The so-called last are now first. Let me check in for a second, though. What did you think about what happened to that first batch of invitees? For my part, I thought of the energies expended on social media when news broke this past week that the current white supremacist neo-fascist occupant of the White House and an increasing amount of those close to him that maintain his death cult tested positive for COVID-19. Many white liberals, including progressive white Christians, were quick to articulate prayers for a full recovery to those infected. On the other hand, many influential black folks, including progressive black Christians, saw these responses and gave us words to hear. Words that resonate with our scripture parable today. While you may also have had conflicted, guilty feelings about the news that the current president and his cabal of enablers were stricken with the same virus, whose spread they've continually ignored, laughed at, gotten annoyed at, and exacerbated into the deaths of over 200,000 Americans. See what I did there? We are called to think about how whiteness inflects our ostensibly faithful response here. Here are some words from a Twitter thread by Reverend Lenny Duncan, a queer black pastor, talking about the president. Quote, This dude is trying to burn y'all's republic down and progressive Christians really out here proof texting, trying to get me to pray for his health? White supremacy is a hell of a drug. Y'all wouldn't know salvation or liberation if it landed in your lap. He continues, Notice exactly what demographic is tweeting this. All those who benefit from the system mostly. Asking black folks to pray for Pharaoh, y'all just break my heart. Only whiteness makes the demand of the damned, the despised and the disposed to love their oppressor at will, at command, because it serves whiteness and its agenda, its whims. Scripture treats oppressors very differently than how it treats enemies in the community. Stop acting like this man was in covenant with the community, or black folks, or queer folks, or sojourners from other lands. You think early Christians didn't pray for the fall of Rome? 
What the bleep do y'all think Revelation is about? We are so damn far from the shore and I'm not sure we will ever make it home, Duncan continues. But home is a banquet of liberation and love. It is salvation that steps into human history and sets the course aright. Try to remember who you are, children of God. Y'all are better than this. End quote. Those who welcome the banquet invitation and honor the spirit therein remember that we belong to one another, which is another way of saying we recognize that our belovedness and humanity is bound up in one another and all are divinely imbued with mattering to God now. Rooted in the American bootstrap myth is the lie that we don't belong to one another, that some lives matter more a lie perpetrated through policy and practice from the foundations of this country and rampant now from the police precincts to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Remember, the police violently target the oppressed now. The novel coronavirus adversely impacts communities of color now. Lives are on the line, and the president and his neo-fascist, white supremacist death cult have doubled down on destroying those who would call for life in the face of these realities, have in fact accelerated and celebrated deadly outcomes more than imprecations, which are curses and maledictions. Our parable this week says that these same ones had their shot. They were given the invitation and they doubled down, super spreaders of death and destruction to their fellow human beings. Sound familiar? We believe that God holds all and that God's wholeness extends to all. But we are faced with the fact that the wicked mighty do not return the favor and in so doing profane the dreams of God and seek to obstruct their realization. There is no both sidesism to be played here. Only our part in making those same dreams of expansive love known in hopes that repentance might be known on the quote-unquote other side, but most urgently for those whose lives are in the balance, those lives whom Jesus is always hanging out with. Let God be God, but we only pass this way once, as the late giant of our age, John Lewis, said. Hear these words from another Twitter user I follow with the handle Clarity Sabbath who reminds us of how a martyred German theologian processed his decision to join the conspiracy to assassinate Hitler after, I feel compelled to always note, the German church, by and large, laid down for the Nazi leader when not outright embracing him. Quote, Dietrich Bonhoeffer worked for the Abwehr, a German military intelligence organization which had previously made attempts to assassinate Hitler. He served as a courier and used his ecumenical contacts to share information. He felt conflicted at first, but when he learned about what the Nazis were doing, he said, The ultimate question for a responsible person to ask is not how they are to extricate themselves heroically from the affair, but how the coming generation shall continue to live. He then said, When a person takes guilt upon themselves and responsibility, they impute guilt to themselves and no one else. 
they answer for it. Before other people, they are justified by dire necessity. Before themselves, acquitted by conscience. But before God, they hope only for grace. End quote. Clarity Sabbath then goes on to say she prays and has prayed for Bonhoeffer's bravery and strength in the face of true evil. It exists, she says, even though the progressive church I love so much often pretends it doesn't to the monstrous detriment of the oppressed. End quote. And now, beloved, as I sit writing the words to this podcast episode, two news stories are churning at the top of the news cycle in Twitter sphere. One, Stephen Miller, the brazenly white nationalist architect of the current president's most horrific immigration policies, has tested positive for COVID. And two, the New York Times has revealed documents detailing how many top administration officials, including Attorney General Jeff Sessions and Deputy AG Rod Rosenstein at the time not only backed but actively blessed the policy of separating asylum-seeking immigrant children from their families, families, including those still infants still nursing from their mothers. I don't believe in karmic intervention or divine retribution. Let God be God. But we can know in truth, thanks to the kingdom banquet we are all invited to, what counts as the monstrous detriment of the oppressed. And when evil is impeded, we can be impediments to evil and spokes in the wheels of injustice. As Bonhoeffer himself put it, we must be. Therein lies our own and our collective joyful liberation. And there's no worrying about getting anything perfectly right in that supremacist paradigm of thinking because we will have shown up at the party to party. Remember, the parable ends with this fascinating stinger. The parable we think could be over. Lesson learned, right? Nope. Quote, but when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding robe And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. End quote. Woof. What we have here is a clear indication that we all must choose to still faithfully honor the keeper of the feast. It's disrespectful to say we're about the work of the kingdom and not embody that way. Now, we don't need to be looking over our shoulder, God forbid, trying to do everything to earn or quote-unquote deserve our place at the banquet. (coughs) I believe this stinger is meant to remind us of just the opposite. When we are authentically ourselves, humbly responding and leaning into the process and the work, the outer appearance, so to speak, will take care of itself. Our robe will be the relationships we bring with us and enjoy at the banquet. We will be there for the party because the party is for us as well. Let's push through. 
those who try to ignore, laugh at, get annoyed by, try to violently suppress the good news. Let's push through to when the transformation comes. Thank you for joining me today. Our transcripts for each episode include resources for action. And this week, I want to point you towards a doozy, a very exciting, crucially important resource Surge Faith has put together and just released. Community Safety for All, a toolkit for white congregations to stop relying on police. Check it and get it. Learn more and get the download at the link in this transcript. After this summer of horrific sustained police brutality in response to the righteous call to end police brutality and to defund and abolish their departments, this is a vital, practical step for all of us compelled by the gospel to take this work into our congregations. Let us know how it goes by commenting on our SoundCloud or Facebook pages. Stay tuned next week for Reverend Ann Dunlap bringing us a resistance word. You can find out more about Surge at showingupforracialjustice.org and our podcast lives at SoundCloud. Search on The Word is Resistance. You can interact with us there. If you have questions or need help with action ideas, be sure to give this episode a like or rate us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Transcripts are available on our website, which include any references, credits, and copyright information. Thanks to our sound editor, Max Pearl. If you're listening to this podcast, I probably don't need to tell you that the political situation we find ourselves in right now is serious, and we need everyone to be doing their part. For white folks, we've heard time and time again from movement leaders of color, y'all go get your people. We need white folks to be committing to anti-racist work and undermining white supremacy in 2020. I'm proud to be a member of Showing Up for Racial Justice because this is exactly what Surge is trying to do. We are doing amazing work in 2020 and we need y'all's help. If you're committed to getting white folks on board for dismantling white supremacy, please make a donation to Surge. We split every donation with a movement partner doing amazing work. You can donate online at https colon backslash backslash bit.ly slash surjsf, all caps, surjsf, so bit.ly slash surgesf, or find our podcast page at showingupforracialjustice.org. Thanks for helping support this podcast and organizing white people to show up for racial justice and the new world we're building together. On that note, with deep gratitude and even a glimmer of hope as we continue to make this road by walking, I bless you forward with these words, a modified Franciscan benediction. May God bless you with discomfort at easy answers half-truths, and superficial relationships. 
so that you may live deep within your heart. May God bless you with anger at white supremacy and all injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people so that you may work for justice, freedom, and peace. May God bless you with tears to shed for those who suffer from pain, rejection, racism, misogyny, queerphobia, war, xenophobia, COVID-19, and more, so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and embody solidarity until their pain is turned into joy. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in this world so that you can do what others claim cannot be done.